Well, good morning. I've been looking forward to uh, preaching from this psalm ever since, uh, well, the beginning of the semester, uh, we were told we were going to be preaching psalms on Tuesdays, and the faculty gets to choose which psalm that we can, can preach. And Psalm 66 has been a favorite of mine, uh, especially since uh, probably about two years ago, Alicia and I went on a uh, vacation to the Grand Canyon. And uh, you'll see where I'm going with that in just a minute. But we went to the Grand Canyon, and of course you know that, that all of the, the uh, uh, information posted, all the brochures talk about, you know, millions of years and evolution and, uh, you know, no, nothing about how it was really created, you know, the flood and that kind of deal. And, and so we you know, were used to seeing that. We were expecting that. We knew that was, you know, what, what the, 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 all the information was going to be saying. And so anyway, we, you know, just kind of ignored all that, enjoyed the beauty of God's creation. Uh, until we got to one point in the canyon, it's, I think it's called the Watchtower. It's kind of at one corner and uh, there's a big tower built that you can go up in. And anyway, we were walking along there, and along the stone wall, there was a plaque. And it was a Bible verse. It was Psalm 66, verse 4, that we just read that said, All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. And I was shocked, really. <laughs> Here, you know, in, in the, 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 the national park, here was a Bible verse. I thought, Wow, I've got to look that up and find out why that's there, how that got there. That's an interesting story in itself. Um, I, I'm not going to try to explain all the details, but apparently in the 1960s or 70s, a, uh, a group, uh, a, actually it was an ecumenical Lutheran monastic order, if you ever heard of such a thing, called the Evangelical Sisterhood of Mary. That's interesting to look up. It, it came into being in Germany Right after World War II, the, the, uh, you know, some people founded it because they saw that Christians were compliant or complacent and uh, you know, the Holocaust happened. And so they're trying to make amends for that kind of, you know, that kind of thing. So it's very interesting that the, the organization that posted it, but it was posted in the 60s or 70s. I thought, well, how, how, how come the ACLU hasn't challenged it? Well, I did some research, and sure enough, about in, in 2003, they did challenge it. They sent letters to the head of the park service and, and you know, complained about you know, religion being here and that kind of thing, and it was taken down. All three plaques were taken down for just a couple of months until they started getting uh, you know, concerned letters from people who missed the plaques and asking why weren't these plaques, you know, why were they taken down, what, you know, what's the deal? And at that time, the head of the park service said, okay, we'll put them back up and we'll let the lawyers figure it out. And it's, they've been up ever since. Apparently the lawyers, they, you know, there, there hasn't been a, 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 any further action taken. And so the plaques are still there. So that, that was amazing to me that, that that's been allowed. That just that, that little bit of, of uh, God's word is still there in the national park. And it can, you know, be a testimony. Obviously, there's no religious denominational uh, uh, anything attached to it other than just the verses of Scripture. So I think that thought that was pretty neat. So then I started reading the entire Psalm 66, and uh, it's it's a very 
Well, it's, it's a worshipful psalm, both for corporate worship and individual worship. Uh, it's, 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 there's a lot of things in this psalm that we could look into, and I just I was confessing to, to uh, Dr. Helwig that, that when you have a long time to prepare for something, you prepare too much. So I'm not going to try to give you everything I've prepared, but I do want to uh, cover a few points I think that, that are important for us to look at when we're looking at this psalm. And one thing I did want to mention, that, that you know, first verse where it says, Make a joyful shout or joyful noise to God. You know, this is, there's several other psalms that say basically the same thing. And I had always heard growing up and even till today that if you can't sing, just make a joyful noise. Right? You've heard that, right? You know, just that's all. Well, but when you look at it, that's not really what it says. The joyful noise is, as in the the, uh, uh, New King James Version says, make a joyful shout. The word is to shout. It's the the Hebrew word, uh, just I'm not going to try to explain it, but it it talks about making a very loud shout, something like almost to hurt, hurting your ears almost. And so it's, it's a call to worship, a call to shout, to, to uh, uh, you know, praise the God, to acknowledge God. Uh, you know, thinking about that, growing up in rural South Arkansas, it wasn't mountainous. It wasn't, we didn't have a lot of, a lot of uh, mountains. We had a few hills and that kind of thing. But I can still remember going hunting with my uncles, and we would go deep into Dordsheet Bayou Bottom, and it's just a wilderness, really. But we would, you know, go squirrel hunting, and we would separate, go different ways. And they would have, you know, from growing up in the bottom themselves many years before, they had a kind of a, a, a communication method of shouting. I'm not going to try to, re, you know, to do that for y'all, but you know. <coughs> Excuse me, but you know, one would shout, and hundred yards away, the other would answer. So you know, we would know where each each other was, and we could come together at, at the uh, the right time. You know, that kind of reminds me of the Arkansas Razorbacks and uh, calling the hogs. That that's kind of where that that came from, because again, my uncle's telling me about growing up that everybody that had hogs, they didn't keep them fenced in. They let them wander the bottomland. They would make little marks on their ears, like like one family would just cut the tip of one ear off, or another family would have two two notches, or you know, it, it would be just a code that people would know whose hogs was whose. And when they would get out and start, you know, looking for their hogs, you know, they, one one family would say, you know, woo pig suey or pig 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 pig, or you know, just different things like that. And so the Arkansas Razorbacks, the way I understand it, in, in the early days, some farmers started supporting them by calling the hogs. And of course, that grew into what it is today. And uh, it's kind of interesting. I did a little research on that. You know, a decibel is a unit of loudness, a decibel. Um, and it's pretty, the, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> that's another area of research you can go into. But anything over 85 decibels has the potential of causing ear damage. And that's something maybe like a a loud vacuum cleaner or a weed eater. If you use it for an hour or so, you can have ear damage. It's not immediate. But the louder the noise gets, the more damage can can happen. And anything over, I think it's 140 decibels, cause immediate ear damage. Those of you in my psychology class, we talked about the, the nerve cells and the 
the, you know, the little hair cells within the ear that starts vibrating, and you wear those out, you have ear damage. Okay, anyway, the, in the Arkansas Razorbacks, this was just this, just this year at a game. I don't think it was last week's game against LSU, but anyway, it, <laughs> at one game, they recorded, and this is just one game throughout the game, they recorded that 43 times the Woo Pig Suey went over 100 decibels. Now, that's, that's pretty loud. That's, that's uh, let's see, I had some uh, comparisons there that 100 decibels is about, uh, where is it? It's about like a lawnmower, you know, a loud lawnmower right up on the lawnmower is, is 100 decibels. Um, at one point, the loudest decibels it reached was 115 decibels, a woo pig suey. Uh, if you continue to research this, the loudest crowd roar at a sports stadium ever, uh, this is the Guinness Book of World Records, was from October of 1914, Arrowhead Stadium, Kansas City Chiefs. They uh, recorded for an extended period, I think it was like six, sec- six, se- six seconds, a roar of 142 decibels. That's equivalent to a jet engine. That is a loud roar. To me, I think that's the kind of roar that Psalm 66 verse 1 is talking about when all the peoples of the earth, there's going to be a loud roar. It's going to be something that will actually hurt your ears. The, again, it's interesting to look at decibels and how at 137, your body starts to vibrate. At 141, you start to get nauseous. At 144, this is interesting, your nose starts to itch. What that means. At 145, your vision gets blurry. Uh, it goes on up, and at 200, you die. You know, so that's, that's, pretty, <laughs> that's pretty loud. But so, so here, this psalm begins with just a cry to make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. So make it louder than any sports stadium roar or any woo pig suey. Shout to God. Praise, you know, praise, praise him. Um, oh, but this, this is just an aside that the loudest scream ever recorded by the Genesis Book of World Records is 129 decibels by a uh, lady from uh, the United Kingdom in a... Uh, 2000. So some somebody can scream pretty loud again. So anyway, this is just an interesting aside there. All right. So in verses one through four, calls upon all to praise God. This this psalm uh, begins here as a uh, a hymn of praise for you know sung by the congregation. The entire congregation is to shout, is to praise, and it calls on the whole earth. In verse 4, where it talks about the earth, that's not talking about the beauty of the Grand Canyon. That's talking about the peoples of the earth. So all the peoples of the earth will worship. So it's almost it's, it's even a, a prophecy that one day everybody is indeed going to recognize who God is and, and are going to worship God. Um, then in verses 5 through uh, 12... It goes into uh, uh, what God has done for Israel. And it's, it's, again, it's, it's uh, one of those psalms that, that's sort of narrative praise. It goes on 
and, and talks about how awesome God is in verse 5. Um, Israel rejoices in God's power. He's, he's, uh, he, he rules. Um, Israel rejoiced in God's deliverance also in these verses. So it's, it's just a call, again, of corporate worship. Uh, no, notice in verse uh, 10, it says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us to the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Well, you know, that, doesn't, you know, that, that sounds like a lot, of, uh, a lot of bad stuff, doesn't it? You know, that's a lot of affliction going on. But, he says, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. So part of the reason that we have affliction is so we do trust God and that we do uh, recognize it when he does bring us out. All right, now I want us to uh, look at the last part of this uh, psalm, which is the psalmist kind of shifts gears. He shifts uh, from the corporate you know, corporate call to worship, corporate narrative uh, praises of what God has done, to a personal song of, uh, of thanks and praise. And this, you know, some psalms are more corporate. Some psalms are more individual. Well, this one has both. And, and I, I did a, in a little bit of research on this that it's kind of a parallel, parallelism here uh, with uh, the first part of the psalm and this second part of the psalm. Uh, remember the first part of the psalm, verses 1 through 4, was a call to corporate worship, to praise, to sing, to you know, recognize God. Let's look at verses uh, 13 through 15. The psalmist now personally says, I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, which my lips have uttered, and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. Uh, verse uh, 15 says, I will offer you burnt Sacrifices of fat animals with sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bulls with goats. Salah. So the psalmist responds with, again, this was the way Israel, Israel worshipped. This is the way individuals worshipped. And notice he says he would pay vows. When do you usually make a vow? You know, you know when you're in trouble. So he'd been in trouble. He'd, he, he had needed God. And, and so he, he, at some point, he'd made vows to God, and he says, I'm going to pay my vows. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I said I would do. I'm gonna, and do it through worship. I'm going to worship uh, the way that, that um, is prescribed in the law. Okay, now notice, um, remember verses 5 through 7, where it said, Come and see what God has done for Israel. And it talked about you know, things like the Exodus and God's just rule. Well, now in verses 16 and 17, he says, Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. So come and hear what God has done for me. So <clears throat> notice how worship now comes, comes around to testimony. That you know, he's, he's worshiped, and now he's going to tell Say, come in here and I'll tell you what God's done for me. I'll, I'll, you know, probably talking about the vows that he made and how, when he was in trouble, how, how God had, had helped him. But he was going to declare what God has done. Here's, here's what God does for me personally. 
you know, we've seen this, we've sung it corporately as, as, a, as a group or, or, you know, as Israel, as a nation. Now I'm talking personal things. God loves me. God takes care of me. Um, and verses, again, looking back to verses 8 through 12, we're, we're, you know, bless God for deliverance. Again, this is the, the nation. This is Israel. Brought through fire and water. Uh, took, you know, he, how he, he brought us out, that kind of thing. Well, look at verses 18 through 20. Again, more personal. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. So the psalmist is blessing God for individual deliverance. For, for what, you know, again, what God has done for me. And, of course, that, that famous part of this is in verse uh, 18 that we've heard many times and we know is, is a, you know, basic, basic to our understanding of God. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. So, well, and the psalmist knew, you know, that, that if he was, that word regard, that it's sort of like a premeditated type of iniquity. You know, if, if I'm planning to sin, or if I'm holding a sin that I'm not going to let go of, I'm going to praise God, all that kind of stuff. But there's one sin that I'm not, I'm not through with yet. I'm, I'm really enjoy this sin. That's what the regarding is, is, is enjoying it. It's premeditating it. It's uh, I'm, I'm plotting <laughs> or planning iniquity. Well, you know, in Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2, it says, uh, when it talks about God, that the hand of the Lord is not short, that he cannot save, neither is his ear heavy, that he cannot hear, but your sins have separated you from God. So again, there was separation. If, again, he says if, if I had done that, then he would not have heard me. Uh, he's not, not saying that perfection is necessary for prayer to be answered, but he's saying that he had experienced God's love and grace, and he he would not cherish what God hates. I think that's what he's saying, because if you continue to read into verse 20, he concludes with the fact that God has heard him, answered his prayer, and shown him mercy. Uh, yeah, verse 19, it says, but certainly God has heard me, but he heard me. I think that's Again, that's important that that the psalmist was saying that he was not regarding iniquity in in my heart. He he wasn't planning iniquity. We we know that that you know that we can sin uh, just almost instantaneously and and realize it at that time. But here, you know, he's saying I'm not planning to sin. If the sin is going to be you know it's, it's going to be my nature that caused it, and I'll ask for forgiveness. But he's saying I'm not planning on sinning. And the Lord understands that. He says, I, he, but he certainly has heard me. I, I like that part. But he heard me. He, he heard me. He heard what I, my prayer. Uh, he's attended to the voice of my prayer. Verse 20. Blessed be God, who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. That's what the psalmist was talking about the whole time. It's God's loving kindness, God's mercy that he, he has shown to him. So I praise God for what everything he's done for me. 
that I, I, there's too much I can, you know, there's no way I can tell you everything he's done, but I do praise him for, uh, for, for his word, for everything he's done for me through his word, for, well, just the, the very basic fact I had, had Christian parents growing up. Not, not everyone can say that. But I praise God that, that I grew up in a, a Christian home. Uh, praise God for, for uh, my salvation, that I trusted Jesus at age 16 after attending a vacation Bible school at a uh, neighborhood church. Uh, praise Him that He called me to ministry. It, it about, how old was it? About 21, something like that. Anyway, a long time ago, uh, he, he called me into ministry and He directed me directed my path, so to speak, to uh, the, the opportunity to serve in churches, the opportunity to be a professor at the seminary, uh, so many other things I could praise him for, my wonderful wife, my uh, uh, just, just uh, ta- you know, just, just everything he's done to take care of me. His mercy, I praise him for that. He's shown his mercy to me, and I can't thank him enough for doing that. Um, the question here is, we're going to sing another song, and I want you to think of what has God done for you? That's the question I think this psalm will, will, will uh, ask. You know, what, what has he done for you? And just, just, just uh, again, think of all the issues related. Is there iniquity in your heart? Are you, um, have you paid your vows? Have you, just, just what we've read today. Just, just consider all of that and then answer, what has God done for you? And answer this in your own heart. There's, there's, uh, then tell somebody else about it. You know, the, the idea of, of making a noise. Well, you know, the psalmist said, I'm going to declare, I'm going to tell you what God has done for me. So tell somebody else what God's done for you. We're not going to have the open testimony service in here, but when we're finished, after, you know, after we sing our final song, you know, talk to each other. What's God done for you? And just just uh, share a little bit of that with each other. And, and that way we can, can all uh, benefit from God's loving kindness, and, or at least the way God has shown his loving kindness toward you. So let's sing our final song.